Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Welcome to the 2022 edition of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words. A proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. In this episode 276, we visit with Ellen Butler, author of Swindler's Revenge, a Karina Cardinal mystery book. When a mysterious burner phone showed up in Karina Cardinal's pocket, she has no doubt who dropped it there. Mike is deep undercover and so far off grid, he needs help to figure out who's framing him and why. Classic Karina, she jumps in with both feet, ignoring the dangers. The trouble with leaping before you look, you can land in a world of dirt, and when an old enemy starts playing hardball, you can end up six feet under it. Publishers Weekly Magazine says, Butler keeps the plot barreling ahead. Fans of intelligent escapism will look forward to more. And Indie Tale Magazine says Ellen Butler's Swindler's Revenge is an unputdownable adventure that will take readers on an electrifying yet lighthearted and humorous journey. Before we jump into the uninterrupted interview today, I'd like to thank you for being here. We are grateful for your presence and uh, really appreciate your time joining us here on the podcast. I'm your host, Landis Wade. I'm a recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories. And if you run out of things to do one day, you can check me out at uh, LandisWade.com. Find out more about uh, me and uh, my writing. Speaking of writing, shameless plug here by the other sponsor of this podcast, which happens to be me. Uh, I have a novel coming out uh, in the spring of 2022. It's called Deadly Declarations. You can find out more about that at LandisWade.com. There's pre-order information there uh, for ebook and print book as well. For everything related to the podcast, check out charlottereaderspodcast.com. We've got show notes on each episode uh, with images and links. we also got a community blog there. Uh, if you're a writer, you can submit there. We've got a lot of great content. And speaking of great content, we have a podcast newsletter called The Book Report. You can sign up at uh, charlottereaderspodcast.com and stay up with what's going on with the podcast. And if you're interested in what I'm doing with my writing, you can go to landisway.com and sign up for my author newsletter where I share information about my writing and upcoming novel, Deadly Declarations. Hey, we won't spam you because, frankly, that takes way too much time. One final part to consider, if you like audiobooks, check out Libro.fm, and if you sign up to get audiobooks from them, use the promo code CHARLOTTEREADER, and you might get uh, something extra. But enough of this prologue. Let's get to today's episode. Ellen, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me, Landis. Yeah, and congratulations on the book. Thanks. It was a, a fun book to write. Um, I got some ideas from an FBI friend of mine for the plot line, and I just kind of rolled out from there. There you go. We'll talk more about that. This is the fifth book uh, in the Karina Cardinal Mystery Series, and I will say that even though I hadn't read the other four books, it was easy to jump into this one and get going without knowing the previous storylines, and it was fun. But hey, since I've got you here, let's talk a little bit about Karina and some of her exploits before we dive into Swindler's Revenge. Tell us how this character, Karina Cardinal, came to you in the first place and a little bit about her. Well, um, first of all, a little bit about her. Uh, I went to the old standby of Write What You Know, 
uh, Karina Carnell works on Capitol Hill. I've been living and working in the Washington, D.C. area uh, for almost 20 years now. And have worked on Capitol Hill, worked for Medical Association and International Affairs. So uh, when I decided to create the Karina Carnell character, I wanted her in D.C., and it was just kind of easy for me to put her as an advocate lobbyist for Capitol Hill. And as far as her exploits, the first novel, which is called Isabella's Painting, came to me after I saw a small portion, the very end of a documentary about the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum heist, which happened in 1990. Two men broke into this Boston museum and stole $500 million worth of artwork. And to this day, that art remains at large. And I just really wanted to incorporate one of those stolen paintings and that heist into a storyline. And that's basically how Karina Cardinal was born. Uh, Initially, this was going to be a trilogy. As you said, Swindler's Revenge is number five. So I've already got a new number six working in my brain, and I imagine at minimum there'll be six, perhaps more after that. Yeah, so your previous books, Isabella's Painting, Fatal Legislation, Diamonds and Deception, and Pharaoh's Forgery. Um, So what is it uh, that you look for um, in writing about Karina Cardinal? Um, You know, uh, you talked about, you know, the the heist, and that kind of got your brain going. Is there something, though, that she constantly finds herself in? Uh, is it uh, is it a modern day mystery? Is it a historical thing? Is it a, or is it just the latest thing that you say, hey, that's, I, I got to put her in that situation? I think it's more of the latest thing <laughs> that comes across my, I'm a, I'm a huge researcher. And so when articles come across or at some, I see something in a, a news report or uh, even in a movie or television show or something, I have to dig into it. Um, for instance, in um, fatal legislation, I um, hack a senator's pacemaker and he dies. And the how that came to me is I actually saw an ad for recall of pacemakers because they could be hacked. And I was like, oh, my God, I have to get into that because it's a great way to kill someone. <laughs> oh, my gosh. OK, don't th- we got to put a little disclaimer up here. OK, hopefully fix that bug. Right. They do. So, yes, absolutely. Um, and that's why they were being recalled. Um, and I because I spoke with some of my medical f- folks that uh, I used to work with at the association that I, where I used to work and also some um, paramedics that I know. But I also spoke with uh, folks in cybersecurity, my husband's cybersecurity. And unfortunately, anything with um, a certain type of software can be hacked. And they create patches and they create safeguards and that sort of thing to make sure that it doesn't get hacked. Um, But yeah, that was a little (laughs) nerve wracking. And I think because at the end of every one of my Karina Cardinal books, I talk in the author notes, I tell you a little bit about what the inspiration was and what kind of the true facts are behind that inspiration. So I do know that some folks were a little um, concerned, let's say, (laughs) over this issue with the hacking. Um, And then, you know, the other books, they also have something that 
just caught my eye and I said, oh, I've got to work this into a Karina Cardinal novel. All right. We're going to talk about the what if for uh, Swindler's Revenge before we're done here. But before that, um, I should note that you've written four or five romance books and a spy thriller with a female protagonist. And your Twitter message says, serving up romance and suspense with style and sometimes with a glass of wine. So I guess my question is, how did you get started on your writing path? Uh, was it in the romance area and then you branch out from there? Or t- tell us a little bit about uh, your way into uh, publishing. So the very first book I wrote was actually Poplar Place. And it's more of a suspenseful women's fiction. And there is a there's a love story. So there's a bit of romance in there. But we're really following the character and her storyline. Um, she kind of runs away from a path that she was on, finds, moves to a new place, finds a new job. Only sometimes, you know, our past catches up with her. That's, and that's where that story is. And um, then I moved on to writing a romance trilogy, which originally was just supposed to be one novel and then ended up being three. I don't know what my problem is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And after writing those, um, two of them had suspense in them. One was a, complete rom-com, which I enjoyed writing, but I realized that I enjoyed writing more of the suspense than I did the romance because uh, in romances, the romance drives the storyline. And I realized that I really preferred writing the suspense that drives the storyline. So Mm -hmm. that's how I kind of turned to my next one was the World War II spy novel, The Brass Compass. And then I moved on to the modern day Karina Cardinal series. I loved writing The Brass Compass. It was kind of a passion project for me. Uh, but it is a lot of work. I did about two years worth of research on it because for me, that was all new, having been born long after World War II happened. But um, my grandfather was a cryptographer during World War II, and I just had a fascination with it. Yeah, well, it's interesting, um, you know, that you've written in all these different worlds. And, and I could tell when I was reading Swindler's Revenge, which is suspense mystery a little bit. Uh, as I'm going through it, there is a little, you throw a few little romantic things in there. I mean, I can't quite figure out Karina and her love life. You know, she's a a bit of a mess. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Uh, And and what exactly does Karina do anyway? I mean, you know, she didn't spend a lot of time at work in this book. She mostly was out getting chased by bad guys. I know it's kind of hard sometimes. I have to work in Karina's job on some of these. Um, She's definitely more on her job during fatal legislation. And even in Diamonds and Deception, she does more work. But She's an advocate or lobbyist, you could say, for, um, well, initially she was at a medical association, but that didn't work out for her. So she is working for a, um, a healthcare advocacy group, which is going to be more of an advocate for like rural healthcare and urban healthcare. And so people who need it and doctors who want to provide it mm. and how they're providing it and how they're getting it out there. She's kind of a little bit for the underdog. Yeah. When it comes to healthcare, well, you've been successful with your writing. You, you, Amazon, you know, bestsellers with some books, some awards with the books. And I'm just wondering, have you always been an indie author? And if so, uh, what was the primary reason for going that path? So, no, initially I started out as traditional, traditionally okay. published. Uh, my first book was published with a small publisher. Uh, the romance trilogy is currently with uh, Simon and Schuster, and um, I had. Um, another romance that was with another small publisher uh, called Second Chance Christmas. And after, so when I wrote 
the brass compass. I had, I had, you know, written a couple of books. I'd been in the industry for a little, for a couple of years. I knew what was necessary in order to get a good book out the door. I kind of realized what kind of team you needed. And I had originally given the brass compass to my agent to sell out there. And we figured it would take a little while. And also we were talking about the timeline because oftentimes, you know, when you get a contract, you're 18 months to two years out with a traditional publisher to getting it out the door. My concern at that time was I had interviewed and utilized knowledge from quite a few World War II vets and other folks from that time period. And I didn't know if they would be alive to see it published. And in particular, um, a gentleman by the name of Oscar, who was a German, he was half Jewish, living in Berlin and spent some time in a Hitler's work camp, escaped and hid out in his father's Berlin apartment for the rest of the war, was very helpful. Um, I did excellent interview and conversations with him and I wanted him to see it. So I decided to go down uh, in indie publishing route with that and it turned out pretty well. I mean, the, the book did very well for me. Um, and anytime I still take it out this weekend, I just had an event and I don't remember how many copies, but every one of them sold out and I could have brought more mm. uh, because I was sold out. There was a two day event and I was sold out by the end of the first day. Well, I always love, you know, having talked to 300 authors on this show and being an author myself and, uh, you know, thinking about all the different ways you can publish. I'm really excited that you and I are going to do this uh, Patreon episode together. Listeners, after this, we're going to jump over to Patreon um, and, and we're going to talk about uh, the, the, the different paths to publishing. And here we've got someone in, in, in Ellen uh, Butler who's going to actually speak from the standpoint of starting traditional and moving toward indie, which I think is very interesting because a lot of times, you know, there are authors that say, well, I need to be traditionally published to get my credentials or whatever. But I have interviewed a lot of successful indie authors that are doing very well. Thank you very much in terms of, you know, supporting themselves and, and that kind of thing. So it'll be fun. So you, you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash Charlotte readers podcast. So uh, we'll get into that, but, but let's, let's don't delay any longer with uh, swindler's revenge. I enjoyed the book. Um, we got a baseball on the cover and money on the cover. What could be better than that? <laughs> exactly. Money and baseball. What's, how can we go wrong there? How can we go wrong? Well, let's talk about that. So um, you set this uh, in the uh, Washington, D.C. area. And um, you, of course, you're familiar with that area. And you take us to the Nationals ballpark, yeah. you know, during this book. It's a nice place to watch a game. I've been there. My son worked in D.C. for a while. Uh, are you a baseball fan? Have you been to the ballpark? I have been to the ballpark a number of times, and I am a baseball fan, and I root for the Nats. Whether they're winning or losing, I still root for the Nats. Right. So um, it was fun taking Karina to uh, Nationals Park, but it was at a time period when they were not actually playing at Nationals Park. So I had to create a time and reason for her to be going there. Um, yeah. to, for the purposes of the book. Tell us about some of the other places you take us uh, in the book here. I, I noticed we get a different, we're all over, you know, DC, but then toward the end when all hell breaks loose, you take us to a neighborhood called Delray neighborhood, which I think you said is kind of close to the Pentagon and easy access. Are you familiar with that uh, neighborhood and look, tell us a little bit about it. 
Right. So I used to work in Old Town Alexandria, which is why I have actually Karina living just outside of Old Town Alexandria, because I know the area very well. And it's very close to Washington, D.C., as is Del Rey. And I would say mm, 30, 40 years ago, Del Rey was kind of down in the dumps, but then there was what we call gentrification. And it's very close to Metro to help people get into DC. It's not, it's just up the road from the Pentagon. Um, it's got, it's really become a nifty little town with um, restaurants, boutiques. And um, I think there's a new camp, school campus going that's uh, being built right now. Uh, I think it's either Satellite, Virginia Tech, or VA campus, something something like that. Mm-hmm. And so it's really kind of come up and lots of interesting things going on. But you do have, you you do go very quickly in and out of, you know, more rundown areas and more kind of gentrified areas. So you get a bit of a mix. That's good. Well, this is probably a good time. Uh, we'll, we'll come back and talk a bit more about the book um, after you do a reading. Probably a good time for you to do a reading. And since you're going to read from the opening of the book, uh, we're going to pretend like we know nothing about it and let you uh, just start from the beginning and then we'll we'll follow up after that. Sure. Okay. Chapter one. The knock, or I should say pounding, on my door startled me out of the rainy Saturday morning HGTV home renovation coma I'd slipped into. The clock read half past 10 and I realized I'd been watching back-to-back shows for over three hours. I picked up my coffee to finish it, but the half inch at the bottom of the mug had gone cold and skimmed over. Bang, bang, bang. I clicked off the show. I'm coming. Keep your pants on. The knocking likely came from one of my fellow condo neighbors. Winding my auburn hair into a bun and tightening the knot on my chenille robe, I shuffled to the foyer. Who is it? I asked, peeking through the peephole. The man on the other side wore a long overcoat, open to reveal a barrel chest and a dark suit, white shirt and striped tie. He had gray-brown hair and a bulbous nose. Not a neighbor. If you're peddling your religion, you can move along. I'm quite happy with my own beliefs, thank you, I hollered. FBI, open the door, Mrs. Cardinal. We have a warrant to search the premises. He held his badge in front of the peephole. It read, Gerald Newcomb. Warrant? Hmm. I turned off the security system, unlocked the deadbolt and the floor bolt, and pulled it open. May I see the warrant, please? The agent, a little shorter than my five-foot-nine height, invaded my personal space as he laid the piece of paper onto my open palm. We're looking for Michael Finnegan. Mike? I glanced over the sheet. Your information is out of date. We broke up a few months ago, but feel free to search away. I pulled the door wide, and two other agents wearing men's warehouse suits followed Newcomb into my tiny foyer. The first guy was in his late 20s with freckles and reddish-blonde hair. I held out a hand to stop him. Your ID, please? He's with me, Newcomb snapped. My mouth flattened and I delivered him a side eye. It wasn't a request. Identification, please. Brandon Keller, IRS, Fraud Division. The freckled-faced fellow held out his card. The olive-skinned, black-haired man following Agent Keller held up his badge as he entered, but he needn't have. I recognized Amir from the last time we'd been. he'd been in my home more than a year ago. What? I mouthed at him. Ever so slightly, Amir shook his head. Something slammed in my kitchen. Newcomb and Keller had already begun their search in my two-bedroom, two-bath condo. Abandoning a mirror, my fluffy pink slippers and I shambled over to investigate. My kitchen was U-shaped with an island in the center. Newcomb opened and closed each cabinet, needlessly slamming them shut with a bang. 
However, he had no such luck with the soft-closed drawers that were put in when I updated my 50-year-old condo a few years ago. Wow, it's 10.30 on Saturday. Judge, uh, let's see. I scanned the paper in my hand. Here it is. Judge Robinson must really love you. The agent didn't respond and started with the lower cabinets along the back wall. I leaned against the island and drawled, Mike is six foot tall and a solid 185 pounds. Do you really think he's going to fit in the cabinetry? Please stand back, Mrs. Cardinal, and let us do our job, Newcomb stated. Crossing my arms, I moved aside to allow him to check out the island cabinet behind me. I'm telling you, you're barking up the wrong tree. We broke up over two months ago. My volley did not receive a response. Agent Newcomb, what division of the FBI did you say you worked in? White collar, he replied in a clipped tone as he pulled open the cabinets beneath the sink. White collar, hmm. Did I just fall down a rabbit hole with Alice? Mike worked in the cybercrime division. Newcomb opened the tiny microwave above my stove, and I rolled my eyes. You know, Mike once told me that they found an entire safe inside the dishwasher. Maybe I've stuffed him in there. I pulled it open and whipped out the racks. Dirty dishes rattled and clanked. Newcomb jerked upright, putting a hand on his hip in an action I'd seen from Mike. Amir hustled in from the other room. Nope, not in there. Don't forget to check the fridge. Oh, and there's a washer and dryer in the pantry, I pointed. Maybe he's hiding in there. Miss Newcomb was not amused. Miss Cardinal, I can arrest you for interfering in an investigation, or you can go sit down and wait until we're finished, he said in a menacing voice. <laughs> well, I love, uh, Ellen, how you work the humor into this, because I like to do that in my books as well. Even when, you know, there's something about uh, suspense and mystery where the characters, uh, you know, have a sense of humor or can play that. It provides a refreshing break to some of the suspense that's going on. And you do that with Karina. Is that, uh, is that natural to you? Is that something that you've always done in your writing? Do you, do you find the humor or is it just Karina's personality? Um, I think I've developed it as Karina's personality. Um, I do try and instill some humor when things get really tense in a book, because you can't just keep rolling on tense, 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 tense. You got to break it up a little bit. Uh, when I, because when I think about a book, sometimes I think about it in a movie, and you know, when you you're in those types of movies where it's tense, 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 tense. If you don't get some sort of break and break up, I mean, I've left some movies where they just didn't have enough, and I'm tense and my shoulders hurt, and maybe I have a tension headache or something like that. So I do try and be aware of that with Karina Cardinal's stuff that I do try and infuse some of that humor to, to break up that tension a little bit and give the reader just that breath of pause before continuing on. Yeah, that's great. And this scene, of course, we find out that they're hunting for Mike in the dishwasher and in the cabinets <laughs> everywhere else. Uh, but we also find out shortly thereafter that, uh, you know, a, a burner phone is placed in Karina's pocket. Uh, she's not sure who dropped it there. Mike, her friend who worked in the, uh, former boyfriend who, who worked in criminal division. He's now undercover. Um, she can't figure out why. He can't figure out why. Um, and then enter this uh, company called Silverthorn. Tell us a little bit about Silverthorn and how they, because I got the sense reading the book that they've been in other novels <laughs> involving Karina. Right. So Silverthorn showed up initially uh, in the first novel. Um was hired without her knowledge or permission to watch out for her by someone else who uh, had done a bad deed and, and knew that she was in, was in trouble. 
And so Silverthorne has worked their way in and out. And I explain them as being a security company here in the D.C. area that can provide security to diplomats from other countries or they go to other countries. And, you know, if you need a small country coup, you can hire Silverthorne Security to take care of that for you. So they provide a lot of different services, let's say, and Karina has utilized them on and off throughout her series because I needed someone who was not stuck to police or FBI specifically. She's She utilizes Mike in a number of uh, books as well, but he always has to be above board. Uh, I nickname him Boy Scout in this book in particular and because of his FBI persona. He, he always must try and remain above the the line, let's say. Mm-hmm. And uh, in this book, though, he is crossing into some gray areas. And Karina kind of points that out because that's their flashpoint a bit, because she will cross into the gray areas and utilizing, and he knows that she utilizes Silverthorne Security, which crosses into gray areas. I've given them intelligence backgrounds, um, like uh, either through defense intelligence or possibly CIA. Um, one of the characters is a little nebulous as to what he's done in the background, but you know that he's got some sort of security intelligence background. And so there's sometimes gray lines crossed. It's almost like a, a private operation that Jason Bourne might be working for or something, you know? <laughs> Precisely. Exactly. Something, <laughs> yeah. yeah, something similar to that. Yeah. And we do have those in the area. Mm, yeah. The area. And in this book, it looked like they almost owed her one from whatever happened in the previous book because they were kind of looking looking after her. But, you know, you've got an amateur sleuth here, which a lot of readers like. And uh, I've written some of those myself. And, you know, people like to latch on to characters who aren't fully equipped to handle the situation, but who somehow get the job done. In her case, though, in this book, it's almost like she's sort of an unwilling sleuth. You know, a lot of times people will get nosy. They'll go try to solve something because they like to solve crimes. She, It feels like the action is being imposed on her as opposed to the other way around. Yeah, in a couple of these books, <laughs> uh, Karina kind of falls into these adventures that she doesn't necessarily want to be a part of. But the one thing with Karina is she's she's very attached to family and friends. So if you, you know, she's loyal. So if you need help, Karina will do what she can to help you out. Um, in Diamonds and Deception, it was her sister. Um, in this one, it's Mike, obviously. In Pharaoh's Forgery, it's it's a neighbor. Uh, and she definitely she definitely gets put, pulled into the one in Pharaoh's Forgery. I mean, she's on vacation and suddenly all hell breaks loose and she's got to do something about it or, um, you know, she might never see her neighbor again who's been kidnapped. So, Well, one thing. So how do you, um, uh, Ellen, I'm always afraid if somebody asks me about a book I wrote four books ago, I'm not going to even remember who the, who the characters are, who the plot. Does it all run together for you sometimes in terms of uh, the plots and the characters? Uh, because, you know, when you finish writing a book, you're only trying to figure out how to plot, research and do the next book. Right. So um, sometimes I have what I call a Bible specifically for the Karina Cardinal series, because I need to know, like, what color eyes does someone have? What, color, what kind of car are they driving? What's their job? You know, what does she call them? What's their nickname? What do they call her? So I do have a Bible to keep a lot of that straight. And even sometimes I've found stuff that I've forgotten to put in there. And then I got to go dig it up in an earlier book and try and find where it was. Yeah. Um, 
And sometimes side characters who I think will never come back, uh, I've pulled back into another book. I'm like, oh, now I got to get back into that little tiny, you know, side character that I had on for 15 pages in one of the books and didn't put in my Bible, really. (laughs) That's great. So so the what if of this book, because we've got baseball in here, um, and I'm assuming that, you know, a, a major sport didn't end up in the other books. What was it about baseball and what was the what if that drew you into this particular book? So I wanted to set up my FBI character in particular. Um, I wanted someone to be messing with him uh, because he's always been such a straight arrow and I needed him to, I, I needed Karina to be able to say, hey, you know, everything's not all cut and dried the way you always think it is. And my, uh, I have some of my own contacts, and I said to him one time when I was interviewing him and talking to him about this book, I said, you know, what would it be, what, if somebody came back, if one of your bad guys came back, criminals came back into your life, you know, is there one in particular that you would know exactly who it was, should something, you know, if they did something or left you, left you something or did something. And he said, Oh, there was a baseball case I was on. So if it, you know, I would know it was this guy specifically if a baseball and he was even talking to me because there's money laundering involved in this book as well. And he was even talking to me about some of the stupid things that money launderers done. <laughs> so if you think that what I did in my book sounds stupid, actually, okay. it's stranger than fiction. <laughs> well, that's always the best uh, when you can turn it into into a novel <laughs> through, mm-hmm. through a conversation like that. Well, let's do this. Let's do a little a few writing life questions. Uh, I noticed that in this book you used uh, first person point of view. Is that uh, how you've always done it with Karina? And why did you choose that format as opposed to a uh, third person where you might get in the heads of some of the other people in the story? So uh, for this Karina, it is all first person. Some of the other Karinas there, she's always first person and I've done some other point of views, but that's third person. So, well, and you know, that shift, I make that shift. It's an, and I don't do it in the same chapter. So I change chapters and then I'll give you a shift of a third person point of view. I think in diamonds and deception, the third person point of view was from her sister. Uh, so you knew who was speaking and what was going on. Um, I like, I just really enjoy putting my readers into the heads of my characters. And I also like that specifically for Karina Cardinal and the suspense and her amateur sleuth. I like the fact that we're only in her head. So we're not reading other people's minds and we don't know what's going on outside of her head. So you're learning in the same way that she's learning what's going on. And in a couple other Karina Cardinals where I've done some of the third person, you do get a little bit more of what's going on from another character, but it's never the criminal. So you're never in the criminal's head in Karina Cardinals. And so you're figuring it out just as she's figuring it out. And I always leave little breadcrumbs or that type of thing. And people who, you know, are really into it will pick up on that. So they'll be working along with Karina and realizing similar things, or they'll say, Oh, Karina realized something or picked up on a breadcrumb. Where was that? And they'll go back into the book and find it. Yeah, no, that's a great uh, approach. You know, it's, 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 it's been done that way for many years to stay in the character's head and learn as the character learns. Um, and I've seen it done the other way, too, where the third, you know, you do get in the heads of the criminals, but you don't find out everything. You just find out a few things that, like, don't go down those steps because the criminal's waiting for you, <laughs> for you down there. You know, we know that's going to happen. Stay away from that door, you know, that kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, you can do some of that. All right, so 
your writing process, Ellen? Are you still uh, actively employed uh, in, 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 I won't say a real job, but yeah, I mean, a, a non-writing job as you write, uh, or did you start doing that and now you're just writing uh, exclusively? So uh, when my kids were born, I uh, my I have a special needs son and he needed my time. And so I stopped working full time. And uh, and then when he went to preschool and I had some time to myself, I had written a couple of years before some outlines, outline of my first book, some um, character development and that sort of thing. And I had... N- I don't remember. I think it was six hours a week to myself. And I started writing my first book during those during those six hours uh, while he went to preschool. And then as he spent more time in school, I spent more time writing. So that's just kind of how my writing developed. But um, I needed flexibility to be home to take him to therapies and things like that uh, when he wasn't in school. Now, as we start a new year here, because your episode uh, is one of our, well, it is the first of 2022. Uh, I'm just curious. A lot of people, you know, get their bodies in shape. They get their writing in shape. Are you a everyday kind of writer? I'm going to write from this time to this time, like like some writers are. Uh, or do you sort of compartmentalize your writing time and do it over a stretch and then go back and do research and the other things? Um. I have to be flexible with my time for a lot of different reasons. Uh, I write whenever I can. So uh, right now I'm actually working on a sequel to my World War II spy novel. It's going to take place during a Cold War. So it's it's a Cold War spy novel dealing with uh, Soviets and East Berlin, West Berlin, that sort of thing. And I started researching it last year and I have started writing it. I'm about, mm, I would say I'm about, almost halfway into it, but I'm researching as I'm going because I come upon things. I have an outline, but I come upon things. I'm like, oh, I need to research that a little bit before I actually write this scene. So I'm definitely doing that and, and interviewing people and that sort of thing. That's interesting. Do you know the ends of your books before you start writing? Yes. Oh, yeah. You're one of those. Okay. <laughs> definitely. You know, for my romances, I I mean, I my romances always knew that she ended up with the guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> But I didn't always know like how the ending scene right. and that sort of thing for my um, mysteries. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk panster versus plotter, but when I write romance, yeah. I was a panster. Okay. I like, okay. I've got a character. I've got some scenes. I kind of know what the climax you got, you got, you got I'm going to roll on, out. Pants on, pants off. Right? Yeah. And <laughs> I, when I started trying to do that for, well, my spy novel and also for the Korean Cardinal series, it wasn't working out because I was having, I was spending way too much time going back and fixing things as I got further along. So plotting became a, a must, especially, especially with the Karina Cardinal series. I had to know beginning, middle and end, you know, I had to re- realize where I was going to drop red herrings or, you know, little clues here and there and how they would all add up to the finish line. That's a good, that's a very good point. I mean, I write mysteries too. And I found that if I start pantsing for a while, I go, well, I got to go back and fix that <laughs> because I, I went down this rabbit hole and I got to come back and do something with it. So, okay. L- last question here. Um, I asked this to writers who've written a number of books. Um, if you could tell your younger writing self something of value that had you known it uh, about the craft of writing and done it sooner, it might've helped you based upon what you've learned uh, along the way. What might it be? Um, 
Well, I think if I had plotted my first couple of books, I would have written them a lot faster. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I got you. Um, but the one thing that people have asked me and that I have come to realize is you have to run your own race. Stop comparing yourself to other writers and how, you know, what you decide is success for them or whatever. Just run your own race and realize that your writing is going to follow a path and just do the best that you can to make that to follow that path and don't always compare yourself to others because then I think you can get really down on yourself and I know other writers will just cry in their soup and that sort of thing saying oh you know I'm not on this list or I'm not on that list or I'm not doing x or y focus on the writing uh also you need you do need to focus on the marketing but make sure that you're putting out the best thing that you can so that when you do market it it's it's quality work and just focus on yourself and you know stop worrying about what everybody else is doing that's that's great advice and you've said this uh, uh in the materials that we're going to discuss uh, on our patreon conversation and i've said it before too it's a marathon not a sprint um there's plenty to learn and and you can't absorb it all at one time. I mean, you, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm still learning things into my fourth book here about how to do this or how to do that, or, you know, what I should have done in the first couple of books when it came to marketing X or Y, you know, just all these different things that you're going to learn um, where you should send your book to get it, you know, just all this stuff. And it's kind of like Steve Berry. I had him on the show. He's a, he's a New York times bestseller. Yeah. He, he said he was an overnight success, but it took 10 years for it to happen. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so if you define overnight success in terms of a, of a decade, yeah, okay, maybe that's possible. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, a lot of these people you think are overnight successes, and when you really dig into what they were doing, it took them years to get where they were. Yeah. All right. Well, I've been talking uh, with uh, Ellen Butler. She's the uh, author of uh, five books in the uh, Karina Cardinal Mystery Series. Uh I've got information in the show notes at charlotterspodcast.com about her images, links to her website, her social media, uh, all kinds of stuff about her, her book cover and everything else. So check that out. Uh, Karina, uh, Karina, you know, Karina, <laughs> talking to Karina. Well, are you Karina? Uh, Ellen, uh, do you have some Karina in you? Um, some of my friends think there's some, but I, I'm not as daring as she is in some of these things. I mean, she does some pretty wacky stuff and I would never do that. Okay. I don't think I cross the gray, the gray lines quite as much as Karina crosses into the gray. That's great. Well, look, uh, Karina or Ellen or whoever you are, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Landis. It's been great. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice, because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. 
Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.